It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> oh, we really hit that note. Mistakes. Ow. It's Valentine's Day. Happy Not Valentine's when you're listening Day. to this, but when we're recording it. Yeah. Um, last year we recorded on Galentine's Day. Do you remember that? I do. We talked a whole lot of shit about it. We did. How do we, how do we feel about Galentine's Day this year? I mean, I still think that Galentine's Day is like a ridiculous holiday. It's pathetic. It's so pathetic. I don't recognize it, nor do I celebrate it. Yeah. It's so silly. It's like, I love platonic love, obviously, but fuck off. (laughs) We don't need to like add this bullshit holiday to the purest love there is. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I love Valentine's like I this year I love Valentine's Day. This is the first year in a while that I haven't been like sad on Valentine's Day. Yeah. What were you what what were you sad about last year? I'm usually always sad on Valentine's Day that I'm not like dating anyone. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sad this Valentine's Day. I have the right to be, but I'm not. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if the events of this weekend didn't unfold the way they did, I would still like maybe have like somewhat of a right to be sad, but I still wouldn't be. Yeah. My life is too full to be sad on Valentine's Day. Yeah. I would love. But I am instead deeply horny on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I would love my holes to be as full as my heart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It has nothing to do with Valentine's Day. I'm just like starting to get my libido back after like a pretty significant dip for the last couple of months. Yeah. And um, I, I sort of feel like it has... It's a combination of things. I think it was um, hormonally I was kind of out of whack because I was at the end of my time with my last IUD. Yeah. And also um, I was like kind of in a romantically insecure situationship. Mm -hmm. And I think that was making me less horny. Yeah. And both of those things being no longer the case. Yeah. um, I'm just like suddenly... Um, ferociously horny. I also recently got fucked really well, and I think that that can really inspire your body to remember that that's something that you want. Yeah, I mean, I've been horny because the situation shift that I was in, we just like were not fucking, and it was so sexually insecure that I was like, I'm gonna jump out of a window. Like, <laughs> please stop, or maybe please start. <laughs> um. So Uh I've been horny. Yeah, I'm um, horny in a way that I didn't even let myself wait until Valentine's Day was over to hit someone up for a booty call, which I think might be certified insane of me um, because it sucks that like whether you care about it or not, Valentine's Day just does mean something. Yeah, I guess. Like, whatever. I, I don't regret hitting this person up. I have not checked my phone yet to see if they've texted me back but um i am like curious to see if this like makes me officially certified insane to them or if like you know maybe the pussy's too good for them to care yeah but i'm like please no please no it's not because it's valentine's day i yeah. just haven't been horny in so long um in this way <laughs> and i just needed to not wait until tomorrow to attempt to get my holes filled yeah sorry sorry about it 
but also, um, you know, if we did end up falling in love after fucking on Valentine's Day, that would also be unfortunately romantic and hot. So I'm like, so maybe Valentine's Day does mean something, you know, like I can easily if if all we do is fuck and that's all our relationship ever is. The fact that I hit them up on Valentine's Day means nothing. Yeah. But if we fucked today yes, and, and also something. fell in love, <laughs> then that would obviously be part of like the story, right? Yeah, for sure. So in that way, it is crazy of me to have texted them today. Yeah. Because that's like an undeniable truth is that it if we wanted it to mean something, it could. No, totally. <laughs> but let the record show that I didn't do it because I want it to mean something. Totally. And that's all I have to say on that. I love that. <laughs> That listener this weekend, um, I think, brought a really important discussion um, to my attention, which is that the world reads me as a top. (laughs) (laughs) And I cannot stop thinking about it. Um, The party that we were at unanimously agreed that I have top energy. You do. And here's the thing. I feel fine about that. If anything, it is a compliment because tops are hot. Yeah. But... It's also um, a binary I do not subscribe to. Totally. I'm a non-binary, bisexual, verse. What else do I not subscribe to? I don't know. Mm, Podcaster and comedian. (laughs) Um, And yeah, you can't put me in a box, okay? So if you're reading me as a top um, and you're also a top and therefore don't want to hit on me yeah don't do that um and if you're reading me as a top and you're a bottom and you expect me to just top you also don't do that yeah i think i get read as a bratty bottom most of the time but i'm a true verse in the sense that i don't know what i am (laughs) that is that is my thing i'm like i know that i'm not a top but i also know that i'm not a bottom i know i'm nothing total yes you know i i'll do i'll kind of do whatever yeah i'm horny yeah like, I just want to have sex. Yeah, I enjoy having sex with a person and <laughs> kind of figuring out wh- how what the best way to have sex with each other is, is together. Yeah. And or people. Yeah. So if you want to figure that out, let us know. <laughs> let me know. Text me. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to figure that out and you have our number, <laughs> let us know. Um, unfortunately, if not, no don't worry about it yeah (laughs) thanks for listening we love you if i like see you at the rave and you listen and you're wondering about fucking me (laughs) let me know would you like to segment um yeah why not let's do it is there anything else you want to talk about not really no nothing like current or relevant um no (laughs) what does that mean well i'm I've been diving back into Anna Delvey today, but that's like because of that Netflix series that's out right now. Well, we can talk about that. Yeah, we don't really. It's just I think Shonda Rhimes is annoying for writing the show that she has. It's like a real girl bossification of Anna Delvey. <laughs> I'm like, she's an evil, bad, severely mentally ill human being. Listen to our episode about Anna Delvey Scan for the, the rich, real not scoop. Your friends. Yeah, it's just cuckoo. Wait, so they I haven't watched it. I watched a few clips of it. I've been reading interviews, or not interviews, articles about it. And then Rachel Williams, the best friend that she scammed, who's the reason that she finally got arrested, has been writing articles about it because she's really upset by the way that she's being portrayed on the show. She's being like, 
the log line for her character is like that she was like enamored and like enamored and kind of a fangirl of Anna Delvey and that like Anna Delvey like created the woman that she is now um which is just like weird and they're like trying to like make her like this anti-hero on the show which is also weird and like they're really pushing this like narrative of like in a world of like cutthroat men like she was a girl who like <laughs> and it's like she was just a bad person yeah i don't care that she scammed actually rich people but like rachel williams does not come from money yeah she had no savings during their friendship when they went on the morocco trip where she literally put a sixty thousand dollar tab on her credit card she had four hundred dollars in her checking account like she was paycheck to paycheck. She just happened to like live in the West, West Village and hang out with rich people. Yeah. So it's just weird to me. And then I've like seen people on Twitter like, you know, obsessing over Anna Delvey. But they, you know, people do that for all kinds of evil people. Christian Walker, gay people recently love to be like, oh, I want to hang out with Christian Walker. He'd be like so much fun to hang out with. And I'm like, he's evil. <laughs> he's like certified. Do you not remember your era of like wanting to? I do want him to come on the podcast. Are you, is that what you're going to say? No. Oh. Your era of like wanting to like um, fuck and or like be in love with that guy who killed his family. Oh, I still. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's it. He's certifiably evil, though. Like, I never said that he wasn't evil. Yeah. I wasn't trying to like girl boss him or like act like he wasn't a terrible human being. Mm-hmm. I just think he's hot. He was hot. <laughs> Can't with you. <laughs> And he killed his wife because she was crazy. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> keep like keeping the, the the misogyny that you're like Anna Delvey is uh, unforgivable. Fuck her! <laughs> but this guy who killed his wife and kids was justified because terrible his wife that, was crazy. Terrible that he killed his kids. But listen, I've said before he's a Taurus, <laughs> and he was married to a woman who decorated their house like she was a Target, like shopping addict i mean it was just you saw that house you watched the documentary <laughs> I, I did it was terrible sure i would have killed her too <laughs> no, i can't i can't <laughs> co-sign that i would have never killed the kids but you know i think that you know it was a flip decision anyway <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not a misogynist i'm a homophobe too because i'm also talking shit about christian walker okay so that doesn't mean you're not a misogynist no i mean i famous i hate women mm-hmm yeah (laughs) i think women are weak (laughs) okay for some people this might be the first episode of this podcast they're ever listening to so just like a hint of a jk rolling please i'm joking (laughs) i'm obviously kidding it's all a bit it's not obvious people (laughs) people only evil people podcast so we need to like really make it clear this is going to end up in a supercut of all the reasons why you need to be canceled in like 10 years. Thank God. Uh, thank God. No, I'm joking. Um, I think that that guy is evil. I can't even remember his name. But he should not have killed his crazy wife. <laughs> you know what? His he should have wife, just left her. His wife should have teamed up with Anna Delvey. <laughs> they could have really girl bossified their little... Um, Target decorated hotel rooms together. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, I just, I think the show, I'm just like over this like era that we're in, this like weird faux post feminist 
kind of like dialogue we're in of being like evil women are great because men are evil too. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Finally, we're breaking the glass ceiling. Yeah, it's so weird. Having no morals. (laughs) What is that brand of feminism? It's like very, it's just dark sided to me. (laughs) Well, yeah, I know. I, I guess for me, I like, um, it, it's, we were talking about um, how there is something like empowering and uh, that shows like true progress when marginalized people can have villains. Totally. I just don't think white women. Well, that's the thing. She's like a white that. straight woman. Yeah. Like, she's not marginalized. Like, <laughs> she's just crazy. Yeah. And again, it's not the fact that I don't care that Anna Delvey scammed rich people. I think that is badass. Like that's girl boss for sure rich people should be scammed Mm -hmm. people that are that wealthy period but not your like this girl thought they were best friends like she's still in credit card debt because of this because of this she couldn't even like that the only charge that anna delvey wasn't charged with was that crime (laughs) the one that actually affected a normal normal person like it's fucking psychotic to me it's just crazy that like that's how it's not crazy because it's Shonda Rhimes and she famously like loves to do this kind of shit when she writes shows. But yeah, crazy. Yeah, we love um, a culture of like girls can be evil, too. Yeah. And that's it's like we know girls can be evil. Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton exist. Like, <laughs> we, we watch it happen <laughs> in real time. We know. I can't wait for her. I cannot believe that she's literally going to run in 2024. Like, I know she hasn't announced it yet, but it's so clear mm-hmm. that she is getting ready to launch her presidential campaign. Mm-hmm. I want to throw up. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, simply thinking about it makes me I can I have to force myself not to dissociate. Right. Yeah. Now. I can't wait to not vote ever again. Yeah. No, that I'm that's done. my guarantee. Yeah. Primary. <laughs> no fed like any federal election primary or general. I will never vote in again. Done. Yeah. Unless it's like Green Party and just to be an asshole. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I might just become one of those people. Yeah, I am. Sorry. Not. <laughs> anyone that has a problem with that is like at this point willfully obtuse yeah the democratic party can actually i was gonna say they can like suck my dick but i actually don't even want them to touch my body so. <laughs> yeah my body my choice which is yeah. kind of the one thing we agree on yeah the, the, the one way that i align with the democratic party is on their um stance on abortion and i think that they only have that stance to guilt me into voting for them totally. so yeah um other than that stay away from me yeah peace out <laughs> um yeah anyway shall we segment that segment mistakes keepsakes and hot takes my keepsake this week my keepsake is that i um went home for a few days and spent time with my dad while he's recovering from getting both of his knees replaced um and his recovery was kind of rough at first so i i came home to help with just like basic maintenance of his um wounds and like house stuff um and it just ended up being very lovely um I like wasn't sure what to expect as far as like his capacity to like hang while I was there like I was expecting him to be kind of just like out of it and needing to like nap and I was just gonna like do work around the house just to like 
be helpful. Mm-hmm. But he ended up um, being very with it. And like, it was just really nice to have that unexpected, like few days of hanging out with my dad and like watching movies and TV shows together. And, um, I also got to, I was, I cooked all the meals for him and his wife the whole time I was there. And I just love being able to cook with someone else's money. Yeah. I loved going to that grocery store and like putting everything on like their card and coming home and like cooking the meals of my dreams. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) so that was great. Um, I'm also more motivated to make like really good food when I know other people are going to be eating it too. And it's not just like, I don't know when I'm just cooking for myself, it's not always guaranteed that it's going to be a banger of a meal. Sometimes I'm like really just putting random items from the fridge onto like crackers and calling that food. Yes. Um, so it was also just nice to like get back into like how fun it is to cook for both myself and other people. Um, so that's my keepsake, my mistake. Um, I'm just being like chronically avoidant right now with random shit I need to do. Just my classic mistake as old as time as an avoidant personality type. Um, I just have a, like bunch of different bills that need to be paid. None of them are like bills that I'm going to get like a penalty on anytime soon. But like, there's also no good reason I haven't paid them. I just like, it just gives me, um, hives to think about like opening yeah. that web page and like watching that money drain from my bank account, even though I have it and I can, I should and can just pay those bills. Yeah. Let me know if anyone else suffers from this where Mm. like you don't, there's no good reason why you're not doing a thing. And in fact, like your life isn't necessarily going to be worse for not doing it right away, but like it will be better for just doing it. Yeah. And you just cannot bring yourself to do it. That is my current, um, what I'm working on in therapy. And I sent you that, what was it like? What, uh, I forget what it was called. It was some kind of like avoidance disorder where like, Oh, yep. I don't remember either though, but yeah. yeah. Where like when you have to do something or like when there's like external forces asking you to do something, you like don't do it that much harder. Yeah. I feel like I have that. And that's my mistake is just letting myself, um, I'm like, I can be pretty good at just forcing myself to do it, even though I can feel the avoidant urge. Yeah. And I just am not there right now. I'm just being um, a little runaway from my responsibilities um, child right now, but I cannot. Yeah. Um, And they probably can't either. My hot take is that Sam Levinson went to the school of Ryan Murphy plot and character (laughs) development And I think Euphoria is um, like the TV show right now. Like I definitely am part of the Euphoria hive. I'm enjoying watching it every week. I'm a fan. But I do think that it is like it's going to have the same thing happen to it that every Ryan Murphy show has, which is that like the plot gets so... It's been so far out of control that like what you originally like about the show is just like completely eclipsed by how bonkers it gets, the the show gets. 
Um, and I think it just is going to be like Game of Thrones where like it's a huge deal because everyone's kind of like together waiting for like the next episode and everyone is together like analyzing like what's going to happen and predicting the ending and all that. But as soon as that isn't happening anymore and the show is just over, I feel like no one's ever going to talk about it again. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's only watched the first season, I truly have not thought about it since I watched it. Yeah. And and like those of us who watched the first season back when it came out also didn't think about it until this season came out. Yeah. I'm like, and I also feel like I'm going to eventually watch the second season, but I have felt no like desire to like Mm -hmm. I'm not yeah it's just it's definitely that kind of show that I'm like oh it's like I yeah it's like of the moment it's like a good show in many ways but I definitely feel like it's gonna be a Game of Thrones kind of sonar yeah it's famously a show I never watch (laughs) probably never will I watched some of it. I never, I didn't like follow it through to the end, but that's because it kind of has the same quality where it just starts, like it gets just so like they, they betray the viewer so many times Yeah, that like you just don't, you don't want to be part of the abusive relationship anymore. Julian Fellows does this a lot and it's going to happen with the Gilded Age. This is what happened with Downton Abbey. We're Downton yeah. Abbey for the first Two and a half seasons was a really, really good show that when it was out, everybody was like talking about and dissecting and loving. And then by like the middle of the third season, it went on for six seasons. By the middle of the third season, it was like another Ryan Murphy kind of show where it was like viewers were just portrayed over and over again. The characters became ridiculous. The plot made no sense. And I'm the Gilded Age is only on episode four. And I can already sense that it's going to happen by season two because it's just been renewed for season two. Yeah. Some of these writers just need to chill. I mean. Or have like more of a writer's room. That's the thing is like Euphoria. I wish that Sam Levinson knew that people only care about the plot because it's the plot that happens to be coming along with this show. Yeah. But it's not a plot-driven show. Yeah. Like, people love the visuals of the show. They love the music. And they love, like, just, like, the experience of, like, Euphoria is just, like, head and, sh- head and shoulders above so many other shows on television visually and experience-wise. Like, it's... The editing is so well done. Like, I mean, it it's also... There's some weird, very stupid mistakes with the editing, but it's more like stylistically, it's very interesting rather yeah. than well done. Um, that's I'll correct myself on that. But like, I don't think people really care what it is that the plot actually is. Like, we care deeply about the plot just because this is the plot that we are being given. Totally. But it had this been, been the plot, and none of the other stuff was true that on its own wouldn't carry this show. Yeah. But all the, the that can be true and it could have a completely different plot. And I think people would still like the show just as much, if not more. Like, I wish that like as a creator, he realized that like people are in it for the like makeup and the fashion and the cinematic elements of the show mm-hmm. and not, um, the like deep dark twisted like wouldn't it be fucked up if this happened yeah um i think that that is compelling as a viewer but it's not like what i think any of us are like in it for and i think he's confusing people's passion for like what's gonna happen with maddie and cassie and like what's gonna happen with ruined um jewels like i think he's confusing that 
for people being like just simply invested in those plot lines. Yeah. And I don't think they are just for the plot lines. I think it's just like the show as a whole is an experience that people are invested in. Totally. And so his like how precious he is about like his vision for like the story I find to be a little bit um, misguided. Yeah. Because I don't think that the story is in good hands and I don't think it's going to be like, I don't know. I think it's just going to end up flopping pretty hard. That's my hot take. I, I'm willing to be pro- proven wrong, but just so far where we are in the season, um, it's just not promising. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I just feel like it's starting to um, Ryan Murphy too hard. Yeah. And if he had more of a writer's room and more people involved in these decisions, it could actually be like an incredible storyline, in my opinion. Anyway, your turn. Um, my mistake, I guess, would be just I'm just going to regurgitate what you said. So like same bestie, just been avoidant with some stuff that I shouldn't be so avoidant with. Um, also, I've just like fallen out of my routine that I was in last week of like uh, reading and writing as much. But also, I just like have been busy with other stuff, i.e. going out. So I'll get back on it. Um, my keepsake is that um, the longstanding World War Three that, you know, I've been in has finally come to an end. We've called a ceasefire. Um and the the allied and Axis powers have become one, <laughs> um, which has been wonderful. I'm sure it's wonderful for the listeners to hear because I'm sure they've been probably growing tired of hearing how much it's been processed both on the main episodes and the Patreon episodes. Um, so yeah, that is good. Uh, a heavy weight has been lifted off of my shoulders. And I'm sure the other person's as well. Um, and my hot... I mean, it, it's prime entertainment. If we're talking euphoria... No, I mean, Honestly, it, that whole fight was written by Sam Levinson. It was, certainly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a euphoria plot line. It was. Yeah, no, I know people enjoyed hearing about it, but at a certain point, it was like kind of beating a dead horse. I'm just, <laughs> I... Fuck how, how anyone else feels, actually. I am glad that it's over. I felt like I was in an American Horror Story episode on Coven where they like go to hell and then they can't get out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very Misty Day having to dissect that frog over and over again. How <laughs> I was beginning to feel. <laughs> so I'm glad that that's over with. Aquarius season has been gorgeous. Um, and my hot take is... I guess my hot take would be based off of what happened this weekend, which I talk about in depth on the Patreon episode, but just like, for me, this is an important hot take to take with me and an important lesson to learn is that like, if you want to fuck someone, I guess just tell them. Um, I very much um, don't ever tell people that I want to fuck them and kind of just expect them to know by like dropping hints because I am um, was raised on rom-coms where that's what people do, what girls do. Uh-huh. Um, Just twist their hair around their finger. Yeah. And, like, wait for the other person to figure it out. Yeah, but that's just not realistic. Yeah. At least, like, not in, like, the world that I run in. It's yeah. not, like, straight people, maybe that's realistic. But, like, it just doesn't really work with queer people. <laughs> yeah. And it's usually a lot less awkward, I think, with queer people than it is 
with straight people to I just... think queer people have to be more forward because yeah. we're in this like constant like are we just friends or are we like there's there's so much more room for like our affection to read as platonic because yeah. straight people are not platonically affectionate with each other. Yeah. And so queer people, at least the type of queer people we hang out with that are like extremely loving and affectionate to their friends. Yeah. Need to be pretty clear about like fucking and if it's on the table or not. Yeah. Because otherwise like you don't want to be the friend who like now makes a move because you misread yeah, that affection totally. like it's best for everyone to just be like yo this is how i'm feeling i'm feeling yeah. in my loins yes um absolutely and also i think we're just like in general a community that's a little bit more equipped with like navigating um that not being reciprocated yeah without it being weird yeah so it's like there's not much to lose yeah so that's my that's my lesson to learn slash my hot take is just tell people you want to fuck yeah you know absolutely yeah um and then if they say no just move to a different <laughs> city <laughs> or, or if you live in new york like, just stop. move to a different neighborhood i yeah. guess different train line or and something stop being friends with them <laughs> uh, <okay>. shame <laughs> um, them if your friends don't want to fuck you they're not a good friend <laughs> If your friends don't want to fuck you, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. The person who doesn't want to fuck me. Yeah. Not me. Well, both. <laughs> there's something deeply wrong with you that you should internalize that rejection as like, okay, um, I as a person at my core am being rejected right now. Yeah. But also they are unethical. Yeah. And probably a misogynist. Probably. Yeah. If you're my friend and you don't want to fuck me, it's because you are transphobic. <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. You hate trans people. Um, even if you're trans. Yeah. No, it's internalized. It's at internalized. That point. Yeah. yeah. Um, Can't help but agree. Bestie. So true. Yeah. So fuck me or I'll tell people that you hate trans women. <laughs> or you're canceled. <laughs> or you're canceled. <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to have to do that. A la euphoria. I'm going to blackmail you. Yes. With like some text where you said something like vaguely problematic, which yeah. if you're my friend, I have one of those texts from each and every one of you. Same, but and you definitely saved in have a folder. more texts from me. <laughs> I, yeah, I have like an like I have a filing cabinet of just like printed out texts of the problematic things you've said. Yeah, I say most of them on the podcast. So yeah, well, in that case, I transcribe them. Yeah, just so that they are still in the in the filing cabinet. It's nice to have a physical copy. Yeah. For blackmail. Yeah. My hot take is that women deserve to be evil. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Girl boss. Girl boss. Oh my God. That we need a girl, Nate Jacobs. Okay. Yeah. We do <laughs> That's a, a glass Jacobs. ceiling that needs to be broken. Yes. Is, um, a girly version of Nate. I'll become Nate a Jacobs. girl, Nate Jacobs. Okay, I can do great. that. Perfect. fuck up of the week i mean kanye west yeah okay thank you <laughs> kim if you're listening get in the words of ashley ray on twitter.com get a restraining order girl like if kim kardashian is murdered uh, it's gonna be kanye yeah like, no he's he, he is, is deeply 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 unwell yeah past being mentally ill like he's just bipolar uh-huh we're bipolar 
It's not yes. an excuse. No. I just like love that in this current moment, and I know there have been people for years who have disliked him because he's a fucking bully and misogynist. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad, though, that now we're reaching the consensus where more people are kind of realizing how fucked up of a person he is. Because <sighs> for a while, there were a lot of people who were like trying to act like he wasn't, and he was just speaking the truth right or that like he just like had this um you know he's a genius and geniuses don't always have like things to say that people like yeah i'm like no he's certified a terrible person Sorry. yeah and like it can still be true that some of his music has been like amazing and legendary. cultural reset worthy totally. yeah totally um absolutely not taking away that that impact that kanye has had because i am among his like stands in that regard yeah as a person i indefensible <laughs> absolutely fucking indefensible. insane his instagram posts this week about kim have been truly fucking crazy crazy and we say that as fellow crazy people if anyone yeah. wants to come at us about him actually having mental illness we both literally have the mental illness that he has so yeah is he is he bipolar one though probably yeah i think he is so i guess we we technically don't well, what we don't, but I have best friends who are bipolar. One, like <laughs> I have this. friends who have what he has, and they don't act like this. No, say- I'm not. I, I also think it's like an insult to people with mental illnesses to chalk up his behavior to mental illness. No, he's just a deeply, deeply unwell misogynist. Yeah, it's it's like more than his mental illness. It's also his like unchecked god complex. Yeah, and that, in my opinion, has much less to do with his mental illness as it does his like egomania and like celebrity and yeah being being a a gemini Gemini. (laughs) a gemini man specifically like as a gemini moon i do feel defensive sometimes but it's true that obviously not all gemini men because one of our best friends is a gemini man famously yeah but you know Yes, all Gemini men. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't stand by that statement. But. I, I, I love Geminis. I famously dated a triple Gemini. I'm just saying that Gemini men are unwell. <laughs> okay. That doesn't mean I don't like them. <laughs> but it is a huge explanation for Kanye's behavior. Yeah. Part of it. Leave Kim alone. Hashtag leave Kim alone. Yeah, I can't believe, I cannot believe that circumstances have led me to defending Kim Kardashian West, but... Just um, leave her alone. Yeah, here we are. Let her be an evil billionaire. (laughs) Let her continue to break that girl boss glass ceiling of... um, Me and Kim would get along so well. Do you think so? Yeah, she's a Libra. I guess that means I would get along with her We would have a lot of fun together. I mean, I actually do think that, like, because here's my thing with the Kardashian sisters, not the Jenner sisters. Fuck the Jenner sisters. The Jenners can actually, like, go to hell. Yeah. Like, I don't even believe in hell. Let's invent it for them. Hell is too good for them. I want them in purgatory. (laughs) Kanye can go to hell. Yes. Um, But, and, and Kris Jenner can go to hell. Yeah. And so can Caitlyn. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But the Kardashians specifically, the the iconic trio. Yeah. Um, I have plenty of problems with them. I don't like defend them as people at all. Like I think they're a huge part of what's actually like a huge part of some of the biggest things that's wrong yes. with our culture. Um, however, as just people like completely separate of like their cultural impact, but just as human beings hanging out. Yeah. Um, I do appreciate about them that they were full adults before any of this happened. Yeah. So they have like, 
personalities that are formed that are separate of their like celebrity identities. Yeah. And it's okay. And for that reason, I do think that technically, yes, they would be fun to hang out with. Yeah. Including Courtney, I will say, because she is an Aries. Yeah, no, the only one that I wouldn't want to hang out with is um, Chloe. Chloe was the one that would have been fun to hang out with back when the show was first yeah, coming years out. Ago. She has, um, her brain has slowly withered away. Yeah. Um, it's turned into soup as she's compared herself to her sisters um, physically for so long, which yeah. I girl, you don't look like them because you have a different dad. <laughs> I wish I felt more sorry for her in no, that I respect, don't. but like she is a direct contributor to the reason that the Kardashian yeah. body and face is one that we all hold ourselves to in it's the first place. So wild that OJ Simpson is literally her dad. Yeah, I mean, he literally told her that he would do a paternity test if she came to visit him in prison. <laughs> like, okay, so you're her dad. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's no. Also, she looks it. just she, like his she, kids. She looks like him and his kids and the like, it's just, I mean, yeah, I, the only reason I'm not participating more in this is because I feel like it's such old news, but if anyone doesn't know, Chloe no, it is old news, but I just think it's hilarious. Yeah. And that's why you don't look like your sister's Chloe. Yeah. But also like different dad. I would also hang out with Chris Jenner. I wouldn't. I would. I think she'd be fun to hang out with. I was once in the same room as Kris Jenner and Chloe or and uh, Kim Kardashian. Kim Kardashian. Wow, could not say her name for the life of me. I was once in the same room as Kris Jenner and Kim Kardashian, and they actually seemed so fucking boring. And Kanye West, I was in the room with as well. Interesting. Um, because we were all there for Kanye West's uh, Saturday Night Live performance. Oh, okay. In 2013. Yeah. And. Yeah, cannot stress enough how um, just on their phones they they were the whole time, mm-hmm. which is why I'm like, mm, actually, probably they wouldn't be that fun to hang out with because I feel like that is just who they are as people. Yeah, they're maybe. just on their phones. Put oh your God. phone away and come to a rave. Kim Kardashian would be so much fun at Gary Nation. Kim, but I mean, um, only if everyone left her to like be just another person yeah, in the crowd. For, yeah, for sure, that's which wouldn't mean. happen. Yeah, Kim. I want to do ketamine with you. <laughs> I don't. I want to do Molly with Kim Kardashian. I like can't even go on that adventure as a joke. With I would you. do it. Would I'd you like, actually do it? Yes, I would. Absolutely. I feel like I would like just start grilling her about like what an evil person she is. No, I wouldn't. I would absolutely take that part of my brain off, do Molly with her and just hang. I just think that like she's an amazing person and no, you don't. Yeah, I do. And I just think that like, ju- you know, men are also evil billionaires. So why can't Kim Kardashian West be one? Well, I mean, in that way, she's my idol. Yeah. In that way, in that way alone, the fact that she's just as evil as her male counterparts. I, find- I also like don't think that rich people are evil. <laughs> Stop looking at me. I said I'm joking. No, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm letting you get it all out of your system because you're acting like a little kid on this episode. You're saying divisive shit for attention. And I just, I'm giving you attention now. And you seem to not like it. As my mom always says, if all someone wants is attention, it's the easiest thing you can give somebody. You're so true, bestie. (laughs) So here it is. Maybe I'm not actually, maybe this is who I really am. And I've just been hiding this from you 
I was thinking on the walk over here, I was like, what is going to be the thing that like is why we eventually end the podcast? Like, why are you talking like that? <laughs> because now I want attention. Oh my God. I was like, what's it going to be? Is it going to be because like we get like a TV show and we're like, okay, well, I mean, Thanks for listening to the podcast, but it's brought us to bigger and better things. Ugh. Or is it going to be because Nika starts saying some whack shit like that she thinks rich people are good people? This is like when I told one of our friends in the Uber back from the afters the other day that I sometimes look at him on the dance floor and think about him uh, abandoning me and his other friends when he eventually gets famous. <laughs> So I guess I'm glad that you also have that part of your brain where you think about like the podcast ending. Have you never thought about the podcast ending? No, I haven't. Okay. No, it'll end when like we die in like a murder suicide. <laughs> yeah, we will record us driving into the Grand Canyon. Yeah. And it'll like be it'll automatically upload to like whatever cloud and Elisa will post it for us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's in our will. So you have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I got it notarized. So you have to, it's the law. <laughs> yeah. Should I become a notary public? Do you get paid to do yeah. that? Oh my God. Why are we not? Notaries? <laughs> Wait, what? How do you like become a notary? Pub? It's like one of the ways that you can make like pretty easy money. How do you do that? <laughs> can you like do it from your apartment? <laughs> you can do it wherever. Yeah. Wait, what is like, what are the, what, how do you do that? What are the requirements to become a notary public? Um, I bet there's like a certain amount of like public respectability you need to have that we have completely um, abandoned with this podcast and our OnlyFans, but we can try. Isn't dad a notary? Yeah, he was. Our dad was a notary. My stepmom is. We should do it. Let's do it. Okay. Oh my God, that's our get rich quick scheme. Yeah. <laughs> we just start notarizing things for people. <laughs> we start fast forcing I our mean, friends to get things notarized. There is something kind of like, in my opinion, the way to to like make good money in our world is figure out a thing that people need in general. Yeah, but that like our community of like raving like queer people yeah it's like nobody else really has that job yeah so for the community you are the only person that people think of for like yeah. that thing and so i've been like what's like a pastor <laughs> or like you know one of our friends is like actively becoming an accountant right now oh yeah and like i think that that's very smart because like how many people in their community is an accountant and next time that i or any of our friends like need an accountant that's like obviously the person we're going to go to. Yeah. Because it's like the person in your community that does that thing. Yeah. That was like a thing when it, like that is a thing in the comedy world too. Like there's like a certain there's like only a limited amount of like stand up comedians that are also um, landlord tenant lawyers. Yeah. So like every time a comedian needs some like their lease read by a lawyer before they sign it. That's the per like the one person that they know. And so yeah. they just go to that person, you know? So let's do that, but um, as notary publics. Okay, I'm down. Listener mistakes. This listener mistake comes from a friend of the pod. 
Hi, ladies. I have a many pronged mistake for you, a hydra of sorts. It all started when I was asked by a drag queen to DJ a bar competition. The queen, who I won't name, was admittedly chaotic to work with in the past. We did a weekly outdoor show the summer of 2020 where her poor communication skills and unprofessional attitude soured relationships with the venue and made the weekly show a bigger headache than it needed to be. This made me pause... This made me pause about working with her again, but the money from this weekly gig would pay my rent, and after two years, she insisted she had cleaned up her act. Cut to the week of the competition. The co-host has posted a cryptic story saying while the rumors about contestants having to pay for the pageant were false, she was not going to be hosting because she can't support the venue. Cue a big WTF from me. Turns out the venue, Motel 23 in Chelsea, has a manager who repeatedly refused to let black people, dark-skinned POC, and women into the bar. Look at the Yelp reviews. When I confronted the queen, she referred to these stories as rumors and was planning on continuing the competition. What's worse, there's currently drama that during past competitions, she would make contestants who don't get paid for competing fork over their tips for the pageant's grand prize. A cornucopia of mistakes, but I think the main takeaway for all my fellow nightlife workers and goers, look at the Yelp reviews before you agree to work at a venue. P.S. The queen in question has since canceled both competitions. Cheers, Mo. Um, I did see this recently on their story, and they're right. The Yelp reviews are all over um, the all over Yelp about this being a racist, horrible venue. Makes sense too, because I went on the Instagram and looked, and literally every fo- I've I have not seen a single black or brown person in any of the photos Oof. on this. It's all like white, mostly white gay people. Yikes. So where they say it is Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Checks out. Checks out for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't really, I don't know what Mo's mistake would be. Uh, I mean, I guess, you I know, guess agreeing to work with this person again. Yeah. Just because they were, but like, you know, a, in my opinion, a small mistake. Because, oh yeah, totally. You know, it's, we live in a capitalist society and if your rent is being paid by a single gig. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's, um, and also you didn't know at the time that they were deeply, deeply racist and fucked up. Right. But great advice to look at the Yelp reviews of venues before working with them. And to be just choosy about who you work with in nightlife because so many opportunities can be thrown your way and it's easy to want to take them. Right. Well, because a lot of nightlife events in general, comedy is the same way. So much of it is like, the money that you make from it is whatever the money the event itself makes. It's not like yeah. a constant amount of money. It's not salaried. Yeah. And so people are looking to like cut corners and take advantage of people by making that a bigger pot. Yeah. Um, by paying you less or paying you an exposure or um, like in this case, like asking people to use their tips for like the grand prize um, when like that's money that you should as a event producer be willing to put in yourself um, especially if you're not paying these people those are their tips yeah Um, but so yeah working in events of any kind I think has like the, the tendency to kind of like try to take what you can get and being choosy in the long run is definitely for the best thanks for sharing your mistake Mo Thank you. Want to take us on a deep dive? Sure. Deep dive. Deep dive. 
So this is about me and a friend who I'm no longer friends with. Um, I met this person. We went to high school. I met them my sophomore year when they were a freshman. Um, We were in theater together. We eventually, by my senior year, became best friends. Um, And it was me and him and her other friend. They were both in the same year. And we were kind of a trio. And... You know, very close. And when I moved back to Providence, um, they became, these two people became really my closest friends. Um, And when I met my best friend, Kat, I met her through these friends. And basically what happened was that eventually this specific friend... Um, I'll codename him Brad. Um, Brad and Kat did not like each other. Um, Kat was dating Brad's best friend. And uh, there was just a lot of animosity between them that really came from Brad and not from Kat. Um, And through the course of my friendship with Kat, I've talked about this on the podcast. I've like tweeted about it. So I don't mind talking about it in this deep dive, me and Kat got into a lot of big fights throughout the course of our friendship. And during one of our like major, major fights a few years ago, um, I decided that we weren't friends anymore. And uh, well, we had both decided that we want to be friends anymore at the moment. And I confided in Brad about it. And he really took... He basically used the situation, in my opinion, both at the time and now, as a way to kind of find an ally in me to kind of, like, further his hatred for her. Um, Because, again, at the time, his best friend was dating Kat, and most of our friends were friends with Kat, and so he really didn't, didn't have anyone to kind of hate her with. And so when I was venting about her to him, it became like easy for him to kind of pull me into that. Um, And eventually me and Kat did make up. And when we made up, he was very upset that we had made up and couldn't really rationalize that a lot of like the things I had said in anger about Kat were things that I said in anger and weren't things that I actually meant. And just had a very self-righteous attitude about the whole situation and kind of was trying to make it out as though I had like betrayed him in a way by, um, by becoming friends with her again. And instead of just talking to him about it and trying to figure out a way for my friendship with him to coexist with my friendship with her separately, but at the same time, I just abandoned that friendship. Um, I wouldn't even say that I ghosted it. Just I, I, I'm thought of this deep dive because I was reading on Twitter today that there actually is like a deep, deep difference, like psychologically and like in the psychological and like therapy community um, or psychiatry community, the, a difference between ghosting and actual abandonment and that like you're not ghosting someone if you've been friends with them for years and then you mm. just stop talking to them. That's literally abandoning a person. And that's fully what I did to him. I stopped texting him. I like stopped answering his texts. I 
moved to New York and then just unfollowed him on Instagram and unfollowed him on Twitter and have never talked to him since. Um, I don't regret not being friends anymore because I just think that we outgrew each other and I don't really know how close we ever really were. I think that it was kind of a... I, I know that for me, I loved him, but it was mostly... He was like one of the only like cool queer people in Providence. And so at a certain point, it became more of a friendship of convenience than like an actual friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel bad about that, obviously, because I'm sure that had like a very big effect on him um, that I did what I did. Um, and so, yeah, that is my that's my deep dive of abandoning a friend of many, many years and kind of just like leaving them in the dust. And you've never spoken since? Nope. I never have. Um, yeah. I've never really thought to. I've like had like maybe one or two thoughts of reaching out and apologizing, but I don't even really know. I don't know if he would even like want the apology or like at this point, it's just been so many years. I've been in New York for two years now. It's been two years since we've spoken that I'm like, I don't even really, I don't even know what that would look like. I think the gesture of an apology would be the right thing to do in this situation. Yeah. As the person who's been the recipient of this from people, it means more than you would think. Yeah. And sometimes it means more just because you get the opportunity to say like, fuck you. I don't want your fucking apology. Yeah. But that's still something that like that person deserves to like get to say. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it, I think more likely they would just like appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I've never talked to them. I, I never see them when I'm in Providence. Like I've never run into them. Um, and I, like, I don't mean that like the whole, like I did love them and our friendship was very real just, but at a certain point I think it became like, I just, um, by the end of our friendship before I stopped talking to them, the reason I say it was like a friendship of convenience is that I just, I think we had less in common than we had at the beginning of our friendship. And I just continued hanging out with them both out of like a sense of loyalty. And because again, they were one of the few people that I like connected with on like a cultural level of being queer and in our community of like mostly cis straight people. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think that reaching out to apologize means that you're, you would be friends again. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can still have outgrown each other. But yeah, just um, yeah, I think it means a lot to people to like just hear that, you know, that like the mode by which you stop being friends was probably hurtful to them. Yeah. Um, But that doesn't mean that like you're like, so let's be friends now because I you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even interested in like opening that door back up. Anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like that can um, those truths can be can exist yeah. together. Best mistake. Okay, this is very hard to relate to the, the mistake this week. Um, so I am going to circle back and relate it at the end, maybe. Okay. Um, maybe you can help me find how it relates. Um, but this week's um, mistake 
is um, a mistake and redemption arc um, of the um, musician Frank Morgan and his time um, abandoning his talents, uh, at least in the public eye, um, due to his drug addiction and time in prison and coming back um, to music many, many years later and cementing himself as kind of a legend in um, like as a jazz saxophonist. Um, So Frank Morgan was born on December 23rd, 1933, making him a Capricorn legend. Um, He was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota to um, his father, um, Stanley Morgan, um, he was a guitarist for Harlan Leonard and the Rockettes and the Ink Spots. Um, and his mother, Geraldine, um, was 14 years old when she gave birth to him. Um, and due to his father being a musician, he was like around music his whole life. Um, he took up the guitar at an early age because that's what his father played and that's what his father played around him the most. But he lost interest um, when he was uh, taken to a concert with his father um, at the age of seven. He went to Detroit to the um, Paradise Theater with his dad where he saw Jay McShann's band um, and he said his life changed the moment he heard Charlie Parker take a solo during Hootie's Blues. Um, his dad took him backstage to meet Parker and Parker suggested that he learn um, and master the clarinet before moving on to the alto sax. Um, Parker later became a regular at a club that opened in L.A. Um, and called Casablanca Frank's father uh, was involved in. And um, when Frank Morgan was 14, he moved to LA to be with his dad and um, started playing the saxophone. And um, he recalls Casablanca as a place where he learned that drug use was socially acceptable. Um, And Charlie Parker, uh, was among the people using drugs around him and was his idol. And apparently Charlie Parker put a lot of efforts to shield him from that part of the musician's life. Um, But unfortunately, Frank Morgan saw heroin specifically as part of what it took to play like Charlie Parker. Um, And he began using the drug when he was 17. Um. Before that, at 15, he won a TV talent contest and um, eventually began playing with Lionel Hampton's band um, and uh, recorded his debut as a leader in 1955. Um, He played as a sideman with Kenny Clark, Teddy Charles, and Ray Charles. The album Introducing Frank Morgan received critical acclaim. Um, but it came out literally the year that he went to prison for the first time. Um, and he went to prison multiple times in his life, um, for mostly offenses that he 
committed to support his drug addiction. So um, he supported his drug habit through check forgery and fencing stolen property. And um, his first drug arrest came in 1955, the same year his debut album was released. And it landed him in San Quentin State Prison in 1962, um, where he formed a small ensemble with other addict um, prisoners, um, including Art Pepper, who was also a sax player. So he like kept playing music in prison. Um, His... Other incarceration, um, he actually turned himself in on a parole violation, um, and it ended, like, his last time in prison ended in 1986, um, and he stayed off heroin for the last two decades of his life, but he took methadone daily, um, so, and a lot of people just see like the time between basically when he was like 17 years old and his like first time being incarcerated and just kind of his time on and off of being incarcerated as just like a lot of like wasted potential. And a lot of people attribute it to um, the drugs themselves. And obviously I don't condone heroin use or like the, at least the way that we like see it, traditionally carried out in this culture because of like how dangerous it is to do. Um, But in my opinion, I think that like people turn to substances kind of regardless of how many times they're warned not to. Um, And it's like just saying that like, Oh, he should have never done heroin is reductive in my opinion. And like the real loss of his potential is the, um, criminalization of the drug and like sending him to prison over drug offenses but also the fact that the addiction itself like there's not support for and um, it f- people dr- people who are addicted to drugs and can't get like proper support or help for it turn to do things to support that drug addiction that I think um they might not otherwise do if there were proper resources in place. Um, So like I have a hard time like, you know, blaming him as a 17 year old for, are you okay? Yeah. My boob hurts. (laughs) I have a hard time blaming him at 17 years old for like ruining his life because he like tried a drug that people around him were doing. Yeah. Um, I think that it's like the system is much more at fault for that. So when he was fresh out of prison for his second time in April 1985, he started recording again, releasing Easy Living that June. Um, And he was sober and back like he had never left after a 30-year struggle with addiction and incarceration. And he continued to play huge gigs across the world and um, uh, went down in history as a jazz legend to the end. Frank Morgan died in Minneapolis in 2007 um, from complications due to cancer. Um, But in general it's seen as um, like a very legendary comeback that he was able to revive 
such a promising career after like a 30 year setback, essentially. Um, And I find his story to be inspiring on multiple levels, not just because um, he was a black man in the um, 30s through 2007 and who like made a name for himself and, you know, came against the odds of uh, drug addiction and incarceration, but also just as a creative person. Yeah. Um, he faced setbacks that were due to like his own struggles and also societal struggles. Like, you know, I think regardless of if he were incarcerated, the addiction was not good for his creativity, but like obviously the incarceration, the fact that he like formed a band in prison, um, which by the way was uh, called the San Quentin all stars and was an ensemble that drew concert goers from all over the Bay area. Um, So just the fact that he was able to like take what a lot of people would see as like a reason to stop and persisted um, kind of regardless of the like public eye that was or was not on him. But then when he was like out um, just returning to like a notoriously difficult industry Mm -hmm. and um, succeeding in it, I just find to be like, you know, Tonally, a little bit of a different ending than a lot of the mistakes we talk about on this podcast. Um, And I did promise a more like, you know, more lighthearted story Mm -hmm. last week. Um, Not that I think that the incarceration is lighthearted, but more like the the happy ending, I guess, is the lightheartedness. I'm not a jazz person, but like is very well known as like one of the greatest saxophone jazz saxophone players of all time. Um, and before his right shortly before his death, he completed his first tour of Europe, um, which I think is just like a very poetic ending to what would have otherwise been a very stunted and sad journey. And it's also beautiful that he lived for so long, he was able to live to see the age of 73 and so many musicians from his time that dabbled in heroin, you know, famously didn't see past 27. So, um, yeah, that's the story of Frank Morgan and his uh, redemption arc. Gorgeous. My sources, he did an interview with um, NPR in um, 2001, I want to say. Um, and it's Frank Morgan on Piano Jazz, which was a program on NPR with Marion um, McPartland. Um, so I listened to that interview. I used his Wikipedia page. I also um, used his biography on musicianguide.com. And there is a documentary about him um, that I couldn't get a copy of because there's no online versions of it. But there's a few clips on YouTube. So I forget the exact name of the documentary, but it's the only documentary about him. So anyway, 
How does that relate? It doesn't. <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> you know, we work so hard to relate the mistakes to our deep dives and we do such a damn good t- damn good job with some deeply unrelated mistakes that yeah. we're, we're allowed to pass here yeah. and there. Um but yeah, uh that is the story of Frank Morgan. The I, I like to think of jazz um like now that we're uns uns girls, I feel like jazz is kind of like techno's like cousin. Yeah. And that it's like kind of like a niche interest that people who don't like it really don't like it. Yeah. But it's like it involves so much more like skill and knowledge of music than people give it like credit for. Yeah. And I feel like it attracts um like people who love it really love it and it attacks it attracts kind of like fringe yeah people. Um and so it was kind of, you know, I like listened to some of his music and it was nice to kind of get a taste of like, I have a deep respect for jazz. Even if I don't listen to it, I know that it's like an incredibly impressive and hard thing to master. Um, so it was nice, like to kind of honor some music history as a person who is like becoming more musically invested as yeah my days wear on. The moral of the story, I think there's a few different ways to look at it. I mean, obviously, the moral of the story is like, don't put um, like being cool and keeping up with the people around you above like your own, you know, moral compass. And um, not that I think there's anything morally wrong with what he did, but, you know, like I'm sure he didn't grow up imagining that one day he'd be addicted to heroin and going to prison. Um, and I also am sure that when he tried heroin for the first time while like hanging out in the jazz club, he didn't imagine that that's how it would end up. And I think, um, as like people who indulge in, uh, mind altering substances ourselves and talk about it and like, are pro doing it it's also important to like talk about how it can go wrong yeah um but i also think that a lot of like i already touched on this a lot of what went wrong about it is also just like the way we legally and culturally treat drugs yeah and the way we legally and culturally treat drug users yes And so I don't think that the mistake is entirely his own, that his life ended up the way it did. Yeah. But the redemption, I think, is entirely his own. Totally. Like, he made what he could out of of circumstances that a lot of other people would just take as, like, the end of the road. Yeah. And I find that to be... Um, more important than any lesson to glean from the mistake itself. The lesson I think is in like what he made of the rest of his life. So true, bestie. Yeah. And that's, you know, what we try to promote here on best mistakes is what we do with our mistakes and not just why the mistakes happened or what was so bad about them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a little black history month mistake for us in an in a in a corner of pop culture that I otherwise know literally nothing about. Mm-hmm. I learned a little something about jazz um through that inspiring figure. Gorgeous. So yeah. Anything 
No, I mean, thank you for taking us on that journey. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was a quick one, but... It was gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous girls love... A quick journey. A quick journey and a quick redemption story. I mean, it wasn't quick for him, but... but it was for us. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's never too late is maybe another like lesson. Yeah. That like even as it felt like maybe his life had already passed him by and his potential was already like gone to the wind. He's like, I'm still in this bitch. Yeah. And um, there's no timeline. There is no timeline. Everyone is on their own journey. And sometimes your journey takes a 30 year hiatus. Break. Yeah. And that's okay. That's fine. Um, But yeah, anyway, with that, please leave us a, a review. review. Please leave us a review. Subscribe to our Patreon. This week we, um, talk a lot about just being sluts Mm -hmm. and how that's just like our new um, group project. Yes. Um, Patreon.com slash best mistakes pod. And write us some mistakes. Yes. Write us your mistakes at mistakes pod at at gmail.com and test your holes, holes, test your drugs and kiss kiss your your friends friends on on the the mouth. mouth. Uh, Bye.